Almighty God, how glorious, wonderful, and heavenly, heavenly and majestic you are. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your son, whom you sent into this world 2,000 years ago to live a perfect life and die on a cross for our redemption. Father, bless us as we continue studying about your son, learning from your son, doing what the Bible says and getting our faith by hearing the word of God so that we can grow in our faith in your son. Bless us, God, in this study. Let it be to your glory and honor. Let us be better disciples as a result of having it. In Jesus' name, amen. We take out your Bibles and go over into your New Testament to Matthew, the ninth chapter. This evening in our study, I would like to set up what we're going to talk about tonight by reading from Matthew, chapter 9, beginning with verse number 35. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 35, the Bible says Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of sickness, every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd, then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest. These are some very interesting verses we find here recorded by the writer Matthew. In fact, while reading these verses in your Bible reading a few days ago, if you are a member of the Monte Vista Church family, there are probably several things you noticed and appreciated while, while reading those verses. For example, while reading the verses we just read, you may have really paid attention to the compassion of Jesus in the text. Notice how as Jesus looked at the people on this occasion, he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You may have also noticed his evangelistic spirit being presented here. You may have noticed how here Jesus is calling his people to do evangelism. He is calling them to pray that more workers may be sent out into his vineyard to spread the gospel. You may have also noticed the miracles that the Bible talks about here. The Bible says that Jesus performed many miracles among the people. He healed every kind of of sickness and disease. He did those things to confirm his identity as the Son of God. But let me ask you this now. What about the beginning of verse number 35? When reading these verses a few weeks ago, and even while reading these verses tonight, did you by any chance pay close attention to verse number 35. Notice verse 35 says again that Jesus was going through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. I have to admit to you that it is easy to read the beginning of verse number 35 and kind of just blitz through that. 
since most Americans have not been to Israel, since most Americans are not familiar with the geography of Israel, it is easy to kind of just blitz through the first part of verse number 35 and pay close, just pay close attention to the action in the text. The compassion, the miracles, the teaching, it is easy to just focus on what the Holy Spirit says about that stuff and just blitz right through the information that is given concerning geography. I will confess that that is exactly what I did. For several years when reading those verses, that was until I was blessed to go to Israel myself almost five years ago and see exactly what Matthew is talking about here when he mentions these, these many other cities. You see, back in 2015, I was able to go to many of the very places in which Jesus walked when he was on this earth 2,000 years ago. As we have seen in previous classes, while in Israel, I, I was able to go to Bethlehem, to the very town in which the Lord was born. I was blessed to go to Nazareth, the very town in which he was raised, and I was able to go to Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum is the place that the Bible says where Jesus set up a residence. It was his home, a place where he lived as an adult. I was able to go to Bethlehem, Nazareth, and Capernaum, and I was also able to go to these many other cities and villages that Matthew talks about in verse 35. I was able to go to many of these other places where Jesus preached the gospel and, and where he worked miracles. In fact, many of these other cities that I was able to go to in which Jesus did a lot of his work are called in the Bible, and they're still called today, the cities of Tiberias, the city of Magdala, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. Tonight I want to talk with you about four other cities in which Jesus did some work based on the evidence we're given in the gospel, and those cities are Tiberias, Magdala, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. These were also cities... In the area of Galilee, there are places you can visit today. There are places where Jesus visited and blessed a lot of people when he was on this earth. These four towns I want to talk with you about this evening in this video are cities that have close ties to Jesus and his ministry. They are other places that are mentioned to us in the gospel. And because they are in the gospel, because God took the time to mention them in his word, that alone makes them worthy of our study tonight. And so I want to share with you some of the things I learned when I was able to travel to these many other cities in which Jesus did his work. And let's just begin with the city of Tiberias. Tiberias, Tiberias is a city in the area of Galilee. As far as the geography of it goes, while it is not specifically mentioned on the map, on this particular map, it is right below Magdala. As you see west on, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, right under Magdala, 
is where Tiberias will, would be. It is a city on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's about halfway down the coast, right under Magnola. The Sea of Galilee, in which Tiberias is right on the coast of, is also called the Sea of Tiberias in the scriptures. You may have noticed that, for example, in John chapter 21 and in verse number 1, the Bible says that after he was raised from the dead, Jesus appeared to his disciples on the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias in the gospel is a name that is synonymous with the Sea of Galilee. In the Bible, the Sea of Galilee goes by many different names. Sometimes it's just called the Sea. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Galilee. And then sometimes it's also called the Sea of Tiberias. Another important thing about Tiberias is Herod Antip and Antipas. I'm sorry, Herod Antipas. He founded this city between AD 18 and AD 22. That is just a few years prior to the death of Jesus. AD, between AD 18 and AD 22 was when this city was founded by Herod Antipas. And I do understand that the Herod family, because there's so many people in it, and because it was such a, a political family, it can be kind of hard trying to figure out who each person is in that family. So let me, let me tell you which Herod this is. Herod Antipas was a son of Herod the Great. Remember, Herod the Great was, was the king in the Galilean region during the time of Jesus' birth. He was the king who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. He is the king who reconstructed the temple. He is called Herod the Great because he was a great builder. He built things 2,000 years ago that are still there in Israel today. He was a very wicked man, a very immoral man, but a brilliant architect, a very brilliant builder. Herod Antipas is one of the sons of Herod the Great. Herod, Herod Antipas is the same Herod that had John the Baptist killed. This is the same Herod who was in an unlawful marriage with Herodias, Philip, his brother's wife. This was the same Herod who had a lot of respect for John the Baptist, but because he made a promise to Herodias' daughter to give her anything she wanted because she danced for him, he had John the Baptist killed because that is what Herodias desired. Herod Antipas is also, he's also the same Herod that Jesus called a fox. In Luke chapter 13 and verse number 32, there we can read about Jesus calling Herod, that is Herod Antipas, a fox. Jesus evidently did not have a lot of respect for this Herod. Herod Antipas founded Tiberias between AD 18 and AD 22. And Herod named the town after Tiberius. Tiberius was the reigning emperor and successor to Augustus. This town was named after an emperor, and one of the interesting things about Tiberias is it has been known for its hot springs, believed to cure skin and other ailments for thousands of years. So for thousands of years, this particular town has been known for its remedies for skin problems and other physical, physical ailments. 
Now, I was able to spend several nights, me and the group of Christians that I was with. This particular tour was led by a friend of mine named Barry Brentnell. We stayed in Tiberias for a couple of nights. Uh, this right here is a picture of the area in which we stayed in. We stayed in a nice hotel in Tiberias, and that body of water you see is the Sea of Galilee from our hotel room, from my hotel room. I was able to get a good view uh, each morning of the Sea of Galilee, and as I looked out at the sea, I couldn't help but think about Jesus. I couldn't help but think about how this is the very sea in which Jesus walked on miraculously. Uh, I was blessed to see the Sea of Galilee each morning from my hotel room that was right on the Sea of Galilee, uh, this right here is a shot of, of an area that we would stand and get good pictures of the Sea of Galilee. It was a very relaxing area. This right here is a picture of a sunset uh, from where our hotel was of, of the Sea of Galilee. This is a, a picture of a boat, a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And again, this is the very sea in which Jesus calmed a terrible storm. This is the very sea in which Jesus walked on 2,000 years ago. And I was blessed to, to be able to see that sea in purses and even take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. And in fact, this right here is a picture of the boat uh, that we were in when we took a, a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we were able to uh, learn a lot of things about the sea. And it is interesting how from any part of the Sea of Galilee, you can essentially see all of Galilee. Galilee is a very small area. The Sea of Galilee is a very small body of water, but it, was a, it played a critical role in the, in the ministry of Jesus. Now, remember what the scripture says. The scripture says that Jesus went to many cities in Galilee preaching the word of God. He went to several other places beyond Nazareth and beyond Capernaum. Wherever there was a synagogue, there was Jesus. Jesus taught the Jews in Galilee, and he would have certainly went to Tiberias. Another place Jesus most certainly went was Magdala. Magdala, Magdala, according to what you see on the map, notice how Magdala is, would be right above, right to the north of Tiberias. It, too, is right there on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, one of the important things to know about Magdala is this. Somebody very important to Jesus was from Magdala, and that was Mary Magdalene. You know, so often we think Magdalene was her last name. That is not her last name. She's called Mary Magdalene because she's, she was from Magdala. So she's Mary Magdalene because she's from a town called Magdala. Mary, the lady in which Jesus cast out seven demons, the lady that followed Jesus for a, a, a long period during his ministry, the lady that saw Jesus down the cross, this lady, Mary, was from Magdala. That's why she's called Mary Magdalene. Jesus would have no doubt taught in the synagogue that was in Magdala. When we were there, we actually were able to visit the ruins of the synagogue that was present there in the time of Jesus. This is a synagogue that, that preceded the ministry of Jesus. It was there when Jesus began his ministry, and because of what Matthew 9 and verse 35 says, I think we can safely conclude that this was another town 
and was Jesus traveled to and preached the word of God. Now, one of the interesting things about Magdala, and particularly the ruins of the synagogue that's in Magdala, is the Magdala stone was unearthed here. In 2009, a religious group that had received permits to build a pilgrimage house in Magdala unearthed a unique stone that today is referred to as the Magdala stone. Now, the discovery of the Magdala stone, the discovery of the Magdala stone actually led to the discovery of a seventh of the seventh known first century synagogue. The seventh known first century synagogue was also discovered in Magdala. And after that was discovered, it eventually led to the discovery of the buried town of Magdala itself. Magdala was a town that was buried for several years. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But this stone, and I'll show you some pictures of at least, of at least a replica of it. The Magdala stone is notable. What makes it so well known is it is, it is notable for its detailed carvings of some of the places that were located in Herod the Great's temple. It contains detailed carvings of the temple constructed by Herod the Great. Someone says, why is that important? Well, that is important because it, it shows us very clearly that the artist of the Magdala Stone was someone who had personally been in that temple. This was someone who had personally seen the temple, personally been in the temple. They were very familiar with this temple prior to its destruction in 70 A.D. It is evidence, the Magdala Stone is evidence to us that while temple worship was in force during this time, the synagogue gathering was still very sacred to the Jewish people. That is a very important point to understand that even though the temple was where worship was conducted and sacrifices were conducted, there is a lot of historical and archaeological evidence that, that shows that that the synagogue gathering was still very sacred to the Jewish people. It wasn't on the same level as temple worship, but nevertheless, it was still sacred. And so this right here is the ruins of the synagogue that was dug up in Magdala. Again, this is a first century synagogue. This would have been the synagogue that Jesus preached in 2,000 years ago. Today it is nothing but ruin, but it is powerful and interesting to know that our Lord very likely preached in this synagogue since most towns only had one, one synagogue. And remember, the synagogue was the place where the Jews would go and they would have scripture read, they would learn the scriptures, they would teach the scriptures, it was a very sacred gathering for the Jewish people as far as learning the scriptures go. And the Bible says Jesus went in, into synagogues all around, all around Galilee. Here, this one was particularly interesting because you can see a lot of the, the decoration. You can see how the floor was decorated, how some of the walls were decorated. This goes back to at least 2,000 years. Now, this right here is the replica 
of the Magdala, Magdala stone, the real ones in a, in a museum somewhere, heavily guarded. But notice how you have the detailed carvings of parts of Herod's temple. You have the detailed carvings of the lamp and, and different things like that. The, the person who carved this, no doubt, was very familiar with that temple. This person had seen Herod's temple up and close and personal. And this was found in Magdala. Now, one other thing I want to point out is in the late 80s, 60s, a mudslide from Mount Arbel, and we were able to go on Mount Arbel, a mudslide from that mountain completely covered Magdala. It completely buried the town. And it wasn't up until kind of recently that the town was discovered along with the synagogue and the Magdala stone. But the most important thing biblically to understand about this town is Mary Magdalene. This was the town that she was from. It is in Galilee, not far from all of the other places in which Jesus did his work. In fact, another place I want to talk with you about now is Chorazin. Chorazin. If you remember, Jesus talked about Chorazin directly in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11 in verse number 20. In Matthew chapter 11 in verse number 20, it says that he began, he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe, woe to you, Bethsaida. Notice how he mentions Chorazin. He says, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which, had, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Notice how here in these particular verses, Chorazin, along with Bethsaida and Capernaum, according to verse 23, Chorazin was one of three cities that Jesus cursed on this occasion. Jesus calls out Chorazin in a bad way, in a negative way here in this text. Chorazin was a town just north of the Sea of Galilee. I have it marked on the map for you. It is just north of Capernaum. It's north of Magdala, Tiberias. It is north, just north of the Sea of Galilee. It is one of three Galilean towns that Jesus pronounced woe on because of their lack of faith and repentance. We just read those verses in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus clearly preached in this town. Now today the site has multiple houses with beautiful arcs I meant to put there inside, a third century synagogue and a purification bathhouse. Jesus, and probably the most important thing to say about the town is Jesus preached there. We know he preached there because he said so. He says he went there and he did miracles. He went there and he proclaimed the word of God and they rejected him. And because they rejected him, Jesus said, they were going to experience cursing. Now, it is interesting how the words of Jesus certainly came to pass. And you see that when you travel to Chorazin. This right here is a picture from the bus that I was in on the way to Chorazin. 
We're traveling to Corson here. And notice how on the way there, I was able to see one of my favorite restaurants. I didn't get to stop there, but there is a McDonald's in Galilee on the way to Corson. Corson, you have right here, we're walking towards the ruins of a synagogue, the synagogue that was in Corson. And notice how Corson is nothing but ruins today, just like Capernaum that we studied a a couple of classes to go. Chorazin is nothing but ruin. It is uninhabited. It is just like Jesus said it was going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Nothing but ruins in Chorazin today. But the most interesting thing that we were able to see there was the, 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 the synagogue, the location of the synagogue that would have been there in the time of Jesus. This would have been another first century synagogue and notice how here we're taking the steps up to the synagogue and here you get a good idea of what the inside of the synagogue would have really looked like in the in the time of Jesus in the synagogue and I've mentioned this before in synagogues typically when scripture was read the people would stand up the people would stand up out of reverence for the word of God and usually so, and most certainly when a man would teach from the scripture, he would be sitting down and the people most often would still be standing up again out of reverence and respect for the things that was being taught. And that's very different than how we do things in our society today. Usually the speaker is standing while the audience sits. That's not how it worked in the synagogue. In fact, another kind of radical thing that was done compared to our society is typically in synagogue worship or in a synagogue assembly the men and the women were separated the men would sit towards the front the men would sit all together and the women and children would 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 sit somewhere else now among the ruins of Chorazin was found a carved stone seat with an Aramaic inscription in honor of the donor and this may have been an example of the Moses seat that Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 22, remember Jesus said how the Pharisees wanted to sit in the seat of Moses. That is, they wanted a preeminent position in the synagogue. They wanted to, to sit somewhere like here, a place where they would be elevated and exalted and showed honor among the people. This right here may have been an example. This carved stone seat may have been an example of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23. But again, Chorazin, nothing but ruins. We saw the ruins of a synagogue. We saw the ruins of the whole town. The town certainly is a cursed town, just like Jesus said it would be in Matthew chapter 11. Now, one of the towns I want to talk with you about, and that's going to be our class, is Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Look over at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and in verse number 10. In Luke chapter 9 and in verse number 10, the Bible says when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were, un were aware of this and followed him. Now notice on the map how Bethsaida is... is kind of right at the north point of the Sea of Galilee. You see Chorazin, 
It's on the north, kind of the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee. Notice how Bethsaida is not far from it, right to the north of the Sea of Galilee. It says, Jesus withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. The word men there is the idea of adult males. That's the Greek word there for men, adult males. That means there could have been as many as ten to 15,000 people here when you count the women and the children. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. The broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. Okay, I want to give you a few things here to, to know about Bethsaida. According to what the scripture tells us, four of the apostles, at least four of the apostles, were from Bethsaida. We read about that in John chapter 1 and verse 44 and John 12 and verse number 21. Peter was from Bethsaida. Andrew was from Bethsaida. Philip was from Bethsaida. Uh, that should be three, I'm sorry. Three of the apostles, we know for sure, were from Bethsaida. Peter, Andrew, and Philip. The Bible specifically says that. We also know that Jesus visited this town very early in his ministry. We can read about that in John 1 verse 43. There, there Philip, who was from Bethsaida, he met Jesus and he made an effort to bring Nathaniel to Jesus so he could also become a follower of Jesus. John 1 and verse 43 lets us know that when Jesus encountered Philip, who was from Bethsaida. That meant that Jesus visited this place very early in his ministry. And probably the most important thing to know about this town is this was the town in which Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. We just read that in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. And even though Jesus performed this, this wonderful miracle, the only miracle performed by his hands that we can read about in all four of the Gospels, even though this is the place where Jesus performed this, this very famous miracle, unfortunately, the people of the town still rejected him. The people rejected his teachings for the most part. They were not fully persuaded by his miracles, and as, the result, as a result of that, he cursed this city because they would not repent. That goes back to Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. In addition to Chorazin, Jesus also cursed Bethsaida. Now, it is interesting how when you enter into the town of Bethsaida, you find the quotes of Jesus right when you enter the city. Particularly, you find the woe, the woe of Jesus there, how Jesus cursed this town and said, Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida. You find that in those inscriptions right when you get ready to enter the city. 
as if to kind of say, this is why the city looks this way today. You, you also find some references to the apostles that were from this town. Uh, you find some interesting information uh, that is also confirmed in the Bible uh, that is given right when you enter into the town. And like Chorazin, notice how Bethsaida is nothing but ruins. It's nothing but ruins today. There's, there's nothing there. It is a cursed, a cursed town. Now, while we do not know the exact place where Jesus performed this miracle with the fish and with the bread, while we do not know the exact place in Bethsaida where he did that, we do know it had to be somewhere in this vicinity. Bethsaida is not New York City. It's not Phoenix, Arizona. It's not a big town. It is a small town, and Jesus did this miracle somewhere here. That's what the Bible says, and that's really amazing when you're there up and close and personal to really ponder on that. But we were actually able to go to Bethsaida and see the very place where Jesus did one of his most famous miracles, according to what we find in the gospel. It was in Bethsaida where Jesus had thousands of people with him. They had been following him for quite some time. And he had them all sit down. He put them into different groups. And even though there was only a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread, after saying a blessing, Jesus miraculously multiplied the food and he fed the thousands of men, women, and children that were gathered in this town. In fact, the Bible says they were satisfied after eating the food given by Jesus and there were even leftovers. There, were even, there was even enough food left, left over for 12 full baskets. Jesus performed that miracle in Bethsaida. This is a real place where Jesus blessed real people. And so, here as we kind of review what we are, notice the red dots on the map. I'm just wanting to emphasize to you how these are real places, my friends. This is not made up stuff you're reading about in the Bible. Jesus went to Bethsaida. He was in Chorazin. He was in Magdala, Tiberias. These four dots represent the four cities that we've studied uh, in this class. Here's kind of an up and close and personal kind of map where you can kind of see, a, see it even uh, closer. You see Chorazin right to the north, Bethsaida, uh, right to the east of Chorazin, both cities north of the Sea of Galilee. You see Magdala, you see Tiberias. Notice how this is not a big area. Uh, in, in fact, it's interesting how when we went from one place to the other, when we went from Chorazin to Bethsaida, it was only about a five-minute bus ride. We're not talking 30, 40 miles here. We're only talking a couple of miles. This is a, a, a kind of a closely connected area here. It doesn't take long to drive from one place to another, and it wouldn't have taken Jesus really a long time to go from one place to the other. The Sea of Galilee is a small body of water, and the area of Galilee is really a very small area. But Jesus did 70% of his ministry in Galilee. He was very popular in Galilee. The apostles were called in Galilee. He walked the earth, literally in Galilee. 
The question is, what can we learn from this? What are some lessons we can take away from these four particular cities that we've looked at? Well, let me give you, let me give you three specific lessons to think about, to ponder on, and to allow to hopefully help your faith and bring your faith to life concerning these things we've studied. First, from these cities we've looked at, one of the lessons that I really appreciate and one of the lessons I really thought about is how when it comes to women disciples, women disciples, they're very important to Jesus. They're very important to Jesus. And the reason I want to bring that up is because so often critics of our faith, critics of Christianity, critics even of the Lord's church, they're quick to try to suggest that Christianity is a religion that is oppressive towards women. They figure since we teach that according to the Bible, women do not have the authority to preach and to teach over men. That means that in the church and in the eyes of God, women are not, are just, are not just as important as men. Opponents of Christianity are quick to try to suggest that, and yet when we study carefully these things we've studied so far, and when we study the New Testament as a whole, we see that that is far from the case. We, we see that there is no other religion in the world and in the history of the world that has put women on more of a pedestal than Christianity. There is no other religion in the world and in the history of the world that honors women who follow God more than Christianity. We see this clearly when we study the, the writings of Peter and Paul. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that a man has the responsibility to love his wife as he loves his own body. He must esteem her highly. He must love her like Christ loves the church. There God is talking about how he values the woman. He values the wife. We see that also in Galatians chapter 3 and in verse number 28 where Paul says in Christ there's neither, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free man. But you're all one in, in Christ Jesus. The idea there is there is equality in Christ. Both men and women, while they have different roles and different works and different functions in the church, they're both equally loved and equally valuable to God. That's Paul's point in Galatians 3. And then in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, Peter says that if a man doesn't treat his wife right, if he doesn't understand that she's a fellow heir, a fellow heir to the grace of life, his prayers will be hindered. The New Testament places a lot of honor and value on the woman who is a follower of God. In fact, not only do you see that in the epistles, but you also see that in the ministry of Jesus. You see that when you study women like Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was very important to Jesus. Mary Magdalene was someone that Jesus cast seven demons out of, and after he did that, she followed him. She went with him from place to place. She ministered unto him. She saw him die on the cross. And she was the very first person that he revealed himself to after being raised from the dead. Jesus valued the women who followed him. From that we see that women who are disciples, they're very important to God. While they cannot 
preach over the man or teach over the man according to what the scripture says in 1 Timothy 2, that doesn't mean that God doesn't value them. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. That doesn't mean they don't have, that they don't have important work to do for God. And God expects them to do that work for his body to be everything that he wants it to be. When I went to Magdalene, I couldn't help but think about the, the, the value that Mary Magdalene when I went to Magdala, I couldn't help but think about the value that Mary Magdalene had in the ministry of Jesus and all the women who followed Jesus. And then another lesson I want us to take away is a lesson about hearts. I want to talk about hearts a little bit. I want us to understand that from these, these cities we've looked at, particularly when you look at the cities of Chorazin, in the city of Bethsaida, we see that physically seeing Jesus cannot overcome a hard heart. Remember from Matthew chapter 11, we see that Jesus clearly did work in Chorazin and Bethsaida. He taught the word of God. He performed miracles. The people of those towns were able to see Jesus. They were able to experience Jesus. In fact, in Bethsaida, the people not only heard Jesus and saw Jesus, but they also tasted a miracle of Jesus. They digested a miracle of Jesus. They ate bread and fish that he miraculously multiplied. The people in Chorazin and Bethsaida were blessed to see some amazing things, and yet even though they saw these amazing things, what do they still do? Well, they rejected him. They, they rejected him. Jesus makes that clear in Matthew chapter 11. And we also learn that in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6 and verse number 66. After Jesus miraculously fed those people in Bethsaida, the Bible says here that they sought him out again. They sought him out the next day, but they were not seeking him out for the right reason. They were not seeking him out so they could follow him and, and really be his disciples. Instead, here in John 6, John makes it very clear that these same people were seeking him out because they wanted some more free food. They wanted some more free bread and free, and free fish. And so Jesus used this as an opportunity to teach them spiritual truths to teach them to seek after spiritual bread, to teach them to seek after him and to partake of him and experience the blessings that he has to offer them well, that will allow them to live forever. Jesus here in John 6 taught these people that they must eat of him spiritually to live forever. And after teaching that, and when they realized they were not going to get another free lunch, in John 6 and verse 66, it says, as, as a result of this, as a result of his sermon about being the bread of life, many of his disciples withdrew. And they were not walking with him anymore. You know, so often people say, if I saw a miracle, if I saw it with my own eyes, I would believe. If I saw Jesus do a miracle with my own eyes, I would believe. My friends, these people saw Jesus do miracles with their own eyes. They heard his teaching directly. They even digested, tasted and digested a miracle, and yet they still rejected him. Why? Because they had hard hearts. Because their hearts were not really on serving him. The lesson from that is if listening to his teaching, listening to his instructions doesn't convert us, seeing a miracle with our, with our own eyes won't either. 
These people saw Jesus. They saw the evidence. And they still rejected him. And that teaches us that physically seeing Jesus cannot overcome a hard heart. The heart is what it is all about. When a person really has an honest heart that wants to serve Jesus, then all they got to do is pick up his word, read it and study it, and apply it to their lives. And, and they will be disciples. And then one more lesson very quickly. And it ties to this, and that is Jesus offers real satisfaction. This world doesn't offer us real satisfaction. I think we're learning that pretty clearly right now with all the troubles that we're having in 2020. Money doesn't offer us real satisfaction, lasting satisfaction. Sexual pleasure doesn't. None of those things offer lasting satisfaction. Only Jesus does. It is interesting how in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 17, the Bible says that after these people ate of the food that was multiplied by Jesus, they were satisfied. They were satisfied physically when experiencing the power of Jesus. And I want us to understand that just like Jesus offers satisfaction to those people 2,000 years ago, he still offers satisfaction today, but the satisfaction he offers is not a physical satisfaction. It is not like the health and wealth gospel says that Jesus came to the earth so you can get physically rich. No, the reason why Jesus came to this world to die on a cross for your sins and my sins is so that we can have spiritual satisfaction. So we can have spiritual wealth so that we may partake of him, eat of him and live forever. That's what he says in John 6 and verse 35. And these people 2,000 years ago in Bethsaida, they missed that. They failed to understand that. We got to make sure we learn from their mistake. And so those four cities, Tiberias, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Magdala, those are the places where Jesus walked. Now what I want to do in the next video is I want to go back and I want to study a particular mountain or a possible mountain, a couple of possible mountains where Jesus may have been transfigured. And I want to see what lessons we can learn from the transfiguration of Jesus. Hope you'll join me for that study on the Lord's Day. But well, thank you for studying with me tonight. May God bless you and may God bless your family.